Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. The term unpacking a passage is one of those Christian cliches that I think is thoroughly overused. You know, like in church services we say, going into... Now we're going into a time of worship. Now we're going into the announcements. Now we're going into the offering. Now we're going into the words, etc. It's something like that. But it's quite descriptive when it comes to somebody who is trying to explain a biblical passage. You see, it's like taking items out of a box and uncovering treasures beneath the top layer. Now I know that some people have difficulty to fully appreciate more complex passages of Scripture. Therefore, In this Truth Talk, I'm offering a brief guided tour through a passage that I've been recently studying. The text is Luke 4, verses 14 to 30. It's quite a long passage. Um, Listen, because I'll be referring back to it all the time. Here's how it goes. Luke 4, 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and it took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Okay, let me give you the background to this passage. The first verse of the passage informs us that Jesus returned to Galilee and then went to Nazareth, his hometown. What is not obvious is that this one verse encompasses up to 12 months of the Lord's ministry. There's like a 12-month gap between this verse and the next. All right, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and he was filled by the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. 
And chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel starts with the words, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan as was led by the Spirit into the desert. So after his 40 days of testing, Jesus moved around Galilee ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went up to Jerusalem for Passover, and then he returned to Galilee. And during this time, he called his first disciples, turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana, cleared the temple in Jerusalem, met with Nicodemus, the teacher of all Israel, and he also healed many and delivered many and did other wonderful and great signs and wonders. So, mm, I can almost hear some of you thinking, well, yeah, okay, that's fine for you, you know. You've got all the tools at your disposal, etc. But how am I supposed to fathom out that such a time elapsed between two verses of the text? Come on, do me a favor. Well, you know what? Any good commentary would, of course, tell you this. But the clue to this time compression in the text is in the text itself. Verse 23, Jesus says to the people, Do hear in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. So Jesus must have previously spent quite some time ministering in that particular town in Galilee. And if you turn to the first four chapters of John's Gospel, you get all the details of that roughly 12 months worth of ministry. Okay, after about a year then spent in Galilee, Jesus went up to his hometown, Nazareth, which is situated about 47 kilometers up in the hills to the southeast of Lake Galilee. And like any other law-abiding Jew, he went to the Saturday worship at the synagogue. Now, a custom in those times was that a visiting teacher like him would be given the privilege of reading from the prophets and then sharing some thoughts, a homily, on the passage that he had selected. The law, the prophets and the writings, that's Proverbs and so on, were inscribed on separate parchment or vellum scrolls. But the book of Isaiah was the longest of all the prophetic works and was recorded, therefore, on its own separate scroll. The man in charge of the service handed this scroll to Jesus, who unrolled it to what we refer today as Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 2. It didn't obviously have those chapter headings and numbers which we'll put on much later, but Jesus turned to that particular portion. Now, two things are not immediately apparent in a cursory reading of what Jesus read from the scroll, as recorded in Luke 4, verses 18. The first of these interesting things is that Jesus actually stopped reading halfway through Verse 3, he read this, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but he left off the rest of Isaiah 61 verse 2. And that rest of that verse reads as follows, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now the men in the synagogue would definitely have noticed this omission because this was a messianic text, this Isaiah text. They would have, they would have known it from their childhood. You see, they believed that when Messiah came, he would both proclaim a year of jubilee for the faithful Jews for the house of Israel, but he would also severely punish the nations that oppressed the people of God. Now, with hindsight, of course, we know from the perspective of the whole New Testament that Jesus was implying that he, the Messiah, came only to save and bless. And he came to earth for those three and a half years. He came only to save, only to bless. That he would come again much, much later to exercise judgment 
on the rebellious people of the world. We refer to this, of course, as the first and the second comings of Christ. Now, the second interesting thing about Isaiah's reading is what Jesus records is not exactly what the prophet had penned so long ago. Uh, how can you know this, Chris? Well, just simply compare the Old Testament passage, those verses, with the account in Luke's Gospel, and you will see there are some subtle differences. You see, Jesus preached a sermon immediately following his reading, and the Jewish teachers stand to read the Scriptures, but then they sit when they're teaching. And Luke chapter 4, verse 20 to 20 records that he rolled up the scroll, after he had been standing and reading it, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. So he's sitting down to preach. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began, he began his sermon by saying to them, Jesus started to preach to the people. But Luke records only his opening sentence. Oh, my, how, what I'd give to have heard that whole sermon. Huh? What about you? Luke just records that he started preaching thus. But it appears that Jesus amplified the Isaiah passage by adding in parts of two other passages from Isaiah, Isaiah 42 verse 7 and Isaiah 58 verse 6. You see, Jesus was doing what teachers of his day often did. He preached and amplified. He preached expositorily. He amplified the passage he was wanting them to understand by bringing in other similar passages that meant the same thing. Now, good expository preachers of today do it as well, bringing in other biblical texts to clarify and amplify the preaching portion in Scripture. Okay, then came Jesus' what I call big reveal. All the eyes of the people are on him. Jesus then introduces his message right up front, with these stunning words, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I think the only thing reasonable that the audience of his day could have understood by this was that Jesus was announcing to them that the Messiah had come. Because that's a messianic prophecy. He was telling him, them, the people, that the hope of the nation of Israel was actually present on earth Right there and then. Some of the people present appear to be wondering that maybe Jesus was even perhaps going further and intimating that he himself, Jesus of Nazareth, was this Messiah. You see, they were amazed by his eloquence, it says. And they took note very significantly that he was Joseph's son, this was not a derogatory observation, because Joseph was in the direct line of King David. So they were noting the fact that this Jesus was in the line of David, in the Messianic line, the line of the long-awaited Savior of Israel. Now, Jesus must have had much more to say about Isaiah's prophecy as he expounded the passages to them. But then he dropped an absolute bombshell in their laps. He quoted a parable to them, and then he explained what it meant with these words. Do hear in your hometown, Nazareth, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. See, the Jews of Jesus' day accepted the Isaiah passage as 
clearly a prophetic declaration of the coming Messiah and setting the criteria for what the Messiah would be and do. So they expected anyone who claimed to be the Messiah, one, to be anointed as a king in the line of David, two, to release Israel from its oppression, declare a year of jubilee, and three, to give sight to the blind and to heal the sick, just as Isaiah had prophesied. So Jesus knew that his audience expected him to back up his claims by showing them signs and wonders. But instead of obliging them, Jesus told them that he would not pander to their skeptical lack of faith, but instead he would bless the Gentiles with his gifts of healing and deliverance. Talk about waving a red rag before an enraged bull. Now, it must have been at that point that the audience realized why Jesus had not read that part about God's vengeance, how he had left off that part in Isaiah when he says that he had come to proclaim the year of God's favor, but the day of vengeance of Almighty God. You see, instead of judging those accursed Gentiles, he had just said to them that he was going to bless them. Heresy! This man must surely be a false messiah. Let's kill him. <laughs> but guess what? Jesus walked right through them as they were rushing to toss him off the cliff. And he quietly went on his way. Okay, some practical applications from this. So I really hope that as you've been listening to me talking about this passage, and, and I also hope that you kind of had your Bible open if you could and were following along as well from the Scripture, that you've maybe formed some ideas about how you would personally respond. And so I can't talk to how you would respond to this passage, what your personal applications are, and I wouldn't presume to tell you what they should be. I can just tell you what my personal applications are, and you can understand from that how I've taken this passage. So there's follows. One, Jesus was speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that is why he was able to say what he did with such eloquence and grace. So my takeaway is if I want my words to have both impact and eternal significance, then I too must be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Two, Jesus provides me with a great model for preaching. He expounded a portion of scripture and then amplified it by drawing in other texts with similar context and meanings. He preached an expository message, and therefore so should I, when I'm given the privilege of preaching the word of God. My third takeaway, my third observation and application. Jesus was fearless and did not hesitate to tell it as it is. However, there is nothing in the Luke account to suggest that he was speaking harshly to them. Nothing. You know, it's far more likely that his tone was more sad than angry and more regretful than judgmental. You see, it notes that his audience heard his gracious words that came from his lips. And moreover, John's Gospel records that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. So my takeaway is when I preach, my words need to be seasoned with grace and compassion whilst always seeking to convey truth. And my fourth and last a practical application at a personal level. The way Jesus simply walked right through the crowd was supernatural. So I must make room for the beyond normal in my ministry. 
the the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit that that goes far beyond what we can normally do or expect to do. The Apostle Paul put it perfectly in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 4 and 5. He said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And so, my dear listeners, I really hope that this truth talk has given you an idea of, frankly, anyone can unpack a portion of the Bible without necessarily having to resort to sophisticated study aids. And I hope, too, that it has encouraged you to read the Bible actively instead of passively, asking questions, seeking answers. And also, thirdly, not to leave the passage until you have formulated ideas of how you should apply it in your life. Now, there is one further step of discovery that is necessary. Read the passage again. Put yourself into the narrative. What would your five senses convey to you if you were right there in the synagogue with Jesus? What would be expressed on his face? as he taught, what would he maybe be saying to you? Now I'm planning, God willing, to speak about this very thing in my next Truth Talk. So until then, God be with you. May he bless you in the reading of his word. Bye. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth 